Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability, anything really impacting today's supply chains. My name is Brielle Jekyll, the managing editor here, and today we're getting deep into the disruptions at ports and through ocean carriers from a legal perspective with a lawyer who specializes in mitigating in this area. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the podcast today. I am here with Tiffany Compress, who is a partner in international disputes at Fisher Royal. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk about some of the disruptions going on in maritime supply chains, especially from a legal perspective, because it's quite an interesting time right now, I would say. Indeed. Uh, so first, I guess I just want to jump right into it and ask, what are the legal repercussions right now regarding what's happening in the supply chain on the maritime side? Well, you know, it's a worldwide phenomenon um, in the U.S. in particular, um, which I'm more fluent in. Um, the FMC, the Federal Maritime Commission, is facing pressure. Carriers are facing pressure. Um, importers and exporters are facing pressure. There have recently been articles in the New York Times about the export industry and the pressure they're facing. Um, and, and at the same time, a lot of carriers are reporting, you know, soaring profits. So there's an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic that's at play here. Um, what we're seeing on the ground on the legal side is <clears throat> actions, you know, potential actions against marine carriers in various jurisdictions. We're seeing, um, actions in administrative areas. For example, the Federal Maritime Commission just launched an investigation um, against a marine carrier regarding detention and demurrage. Um, That's one of the issues. Of course, they're all interconnected. So you really have a constellation of things going on. The other thing that's going on, so you've got the delays at the ports, right? There are no berths. Mm -hmm. There are ships that are waiting out. Um, outside of the port, waiting to get in. Then you have the problem of containers and reefers, in particular, the refrigerated containers, dropping them off, picking up new ones. You know, the the port is full. Um, There's no more space. So carriers are getting space outside of the port. Some of those are also getting so full that it's becoming problematic. So you have truckers that are waiting in line for hours. They get there, they find out they can't drop off the container that they have that's empty. So they can't pick up a new one. Um, And then there are chassis, which are not usually provided by the carriers. It's very unusual for truckers to own their own chassis. Um, So then that's another problem. Sometimes they drive away with the chassis and then there's, it it really creates this um, domino effect, right? And then the other issue that you have is the buyers and the sellers, the companies that are actually importing and exporting all of these goods. So then you have fights between them, especially when you're dealing with perishable products. I have a lot of clients in the food and beverage business and agriculture, and all of those companies are really experiencing a lot of strain because 
their product is coming in damaged. It's coming in unsaleable. You know, you've got a shipment of fresh products and it's three weeks late. You know, that product can no longer be sold, right? It's got a very short shelf life because it's fresh. So in that situation, is that company taking legal action against the carrier or against the shipper? We're seeing that in some situations. Yes, absolutely. And we're also seeing that some, for example, the importer, you know, whoever's if if in the situation that the exporter is responsible for the carriage, right? They're responsible for shipping the item and the item is not technically sold until it arrives um, to the country of destination, at least, right? Or the warehouse of destination. Um, You might see the importer take action against the exporter for not planning appropriately or what have you. So then you're having those kinds of issues. And then, you know, maybe I'm not paying. And then maybe the seller sues the importer, right? The exporter sues the importer because they're not paying because the product arrived so late. And well, it wasn't my fault. Well, it wasn't my fault. And how do you allocate that risk? And I think that in particular for business that was begun, contracts that were prepared before COVID and before, I mean, this logjam was in the works before COVID. COVID exacerbated the situation. Okay. And for contracts that were drawn up before this really exploded, this was an unforeseen event, right? So that's created an interesting issue there. Now, if you're contracting now that you know that all of this stuff is going on, you're in a very different position, right? Um, okay. you, can, you can allocate, you know that this is a risk that you have to allocate in the contract. If, you know, beforehand, it wasn't something that people were really thinking about. So, you know, it was oftentimes I'll look at a, an, an issue, a case that comes to me and I'll look at the contract and it's clear that this was drafted beforehand. Nobody was really thinking about, okay, what if this happens? How are we going to allocate that risk? Who's going to pay for it? And they were just doing things because, oh, that's the way that they had always done them, you know? Um, I, I don't draft a lot of contracts. I really focus on disputes. There are some that I do draft and it's something that I always talk to my clients about because you never know. (laughs) Right. So when the pandemic first hit, like back in 2020, I did a, a piece on force majeure closures and and Mm -hmm. how that was probably going to be a huge factor during COVID because people were completely shut down. Uh, a year and a half later, that's completely different. Now there's, you know, shutdowns happening everywhere, disruptions happening everywhere. So are we seeing a lot of that clause activated right yeah. now? Well, and at different times, right? So what makes that even more complex is that you have a number of small and mid-sized companies that do business without contracts, right? So in that case, or in certain cases, even where they do have a contract, often actually, even when they do have a contract, international sales law is going to apply. And they may not know that, right? They may not know this at all. This may be something that they've never talked to their lawyer about, or their lawyer may not know because it's a specialized area of the law. And so it's this law is like a default law. If you don't address a particular issue regarding the sale and purchase of the goods in your contract, then by default, this international sales law will apply, right? It's called the UN Convention on Contracts for the International Sale of Goods. It's very long. We shorten it to the CISG, right? In some instances, the countries of uh, the buyer and seller 
have not ratified the treaty. So then local law will apply. Many countries, many jurisdictions have a default force majeure clause. Some don't. Right. So that's something that you've got to look at, too. Um, it's interesting because I, I also did several uh, talks and panels and webinars about this at right at the beginning of COVID. And at the time, there was only one case applying international sales law. Um, I mean, this treaty covers about, you know, two thirds of international trade. So very most likely it's going to apply. So I'll just talk about that as a baseline. So at the time, um, when this first started blowing up, uh, there were no, very few cases involving diseases. Uh, there's one very famous L-lysine case out of China um, that, if I recall correctly, was dealing with a bird flu. And that case has kind of become the basis for new cases dealing with COVID. And what that international sales law treaty, the CISG says at Article 79, is really that you have to have an unforeseen circumstance that is out of your control and is unavoidable. And it also goes down the chain, right? Like if you engaged an ocean carrier or a third person broker to procure product for you, and that person faces that issue, and you face that issue with that person as well, now you've got two steps, um, then you can use this provision. And this provision only applies to the purchase and sale of goods, right? So now, right, the people that are facing this now are in an extraordinarily different position because it's not unforeseen, right? Or is it? Because now we have new lockdowns in Europe, right? Now we have um, in several countries, people without vaccines can't leave their home and there are all these other kinds of restrictions. So things are popping in and out and it's becoming a very fact-intensive inquiry. What geographic location was involved? What were the legal orders in place at the time? Were there any shutdowns or other restrictions to protect from COVID? How much would the opposing party know? At what particular time did this happen? And when did that party learn about it? You know, there are all of these factors. So it's becoming extremely complicated and very fact-intensive analysis. Now, what about just the log jams? So this is, we're talking about, you know, shutdowns and quarantines and, you know, disease, but but now all of this is causing such such a backlog. What if you're having problems delivering your product because of just the backlog? That's it. You can't get into a port because it's it's so congested. So part of what you, what I'm recommending to clients is that they discuss that ahead of time, like we were talking mm -hmm. before. Now, you know, so when you're making a deal, you can say, listen, things are uncertain. We all know that there is this situation going on in the global supply chain. Things are backed up. Things are uncertain. The product may not arrive in time. So you build that into your contract negotiations. I had a client recently who was um, attempting to settle a case and part of the settlement, you know, we got creative. Part of the settlement was sending additional product, right? And the additional product needed to arrive before the end of the year because, you know, the price fluctuates mm -hmm. and the holidays is a big time for the use of this product, whatever. So I said to them, they said, oh, the voyage is X number of days, so they have to send it by X date. And I said, listen, with all of this stuff that's going on, budget for that. 
let's say that they have to send it even earlier because we know that there's this logjam. We've got to build it into our negotiations now. And what I'm suggesting to clients as well is that even if they have a pre-existing contract, that they approach their buyer or seller, as the case may be, to talk about it and see what they're going to do and work together instead of waiting until, you know, this stuff hits the fan and they have a big problem and they're in a fight about it. It's much better to try to deal with these things head on beforehand. Um, you know, you do run into the occasional buyer or seller that's inflexible and is like, listen, this is the contract that you signed, you're stuck with it. But it it's extremely important to try because some of these cases are extremely expensive and the loss of the of the goods or the loss of the market, you know, the market's hot, you want to get it there now, you know, those can be really significant. Mm-hmm. So if you deal with it in advance, you're really saving yourself time, money, and stress. So I want to shift gears a little bit because it's something I've been wondering about quite a bit since the pandemic hit, because we're talking about sustainability a lot and more sustainability regulations are coming out. Absolutely. Uh, despite, you know, the pandemic. And we've noticed a lot of people on the ground are still investing in this. I know some carriers are, are trying to switch in the long ter- long term. But so how is the industry handling sustainability right now during all of this or sustainability regulations and stuff? That's a really interesting question. I, I What I'm seeing is that this isn't something that people are really talking about that much right now because they're so focused on resolving the logjam um, and on finding ways to get the product where they need to go in an efficient way, um, given all the stuff that's going on and the uncertainty. Um, but there is new technology that I was just reading recently in The Economist, for example, um, that container ships with sails are making a comeback. Um, you know, sh- shipping ocean carriers produce about 3% of greenhouse gases. So that's worldwide, that's a, still a significant amount, right? Considering what that really means in terms of absolute numbers. And by the end of 2022, the estimate is that there will be about 40 of these container ships with sales. Now that's not a lot considering the total number of container ships out there. But, you know, again, I don't think people are so focused on that right now because they're trying to resolve this long jam issue, you know, and you've got all these crazy things happening like the Evergreen and the Suez, you know, right? that has all of these domino effects all over the world. And it's, it's a complex issue. It's a global issue. It comes into play in so many different areas that one might not necessarily expect, especially for somebody that's not in the industry. Um, so I think that makes it a really unique issue for our time. Absolutely. So what do you think the future holds in terms of maritime and this log jam and the supply chain? Um, I think it's Unfortunately, I, I expect it to last for a while. I mean, I don't have, you know, a um, crystal ball, but um, I think that, pardon my uh, <laughs> canine junior associate here, um, I do believe that one of the things that's going to be coming to the table in the future is how much the industry has consolidated and what that has meant. Um, we're seeing 
things like uh, shippers or carriers, sorry, that are carriers that are sending containers to other parts of the world because the prices have gone sky high. And so they're leaving their original, you know, um, shippers kind of in the lurch, right? By taking the containers from a less lucrative area to a more lucrative area. And we're seeing that companies are depending on a single carrier for a particular service. So if that carrier cancels that service to a particular destination, you know, from a particular place to a particular place, they might not have another solution, right? And so that's creating problems in the marketplace um, because of that overly centralized, overly consolidated uh, market and shipping that we have right now. So I think that those are are things that are going to be looked at and discussed in the future. I don't know where that will end, right, or what what will actually happen. But I see them as a as a minimum as topics of conversation. And then you know we've got some of this investigation that was just announced today, for example, by the Federal Maritime Commission in the United States. So there is going to be some sort of shift because there's just too much pressure right now. Mm-hmm. And that pressure has to go somewhere. So we'll yeah, see. I did a episode a few weeks ago about, um, and the person I was interviewing had said, you know, this was inevitable. This was always going to happen mm-hmm. because of how, you know, we've been going the past few years or past couple decades, actually. Yes. Um, so precisely. I always say how I'm interested to see how we're going to come together and solve this because obviously we need a big change. Right. And, and it's a structural change, right? It's the change exactly. that's needed is a deeper change than just some superficial kind of gloss. Um, and, and it's going to be disruptive and it's going, it, you know, it, it may hurt. Change is hard, right? But right. I think in order to create a more sustainable um, economy and shipping industry that will serve the needs of its constituents, right, of its stakeholders, change is is inevitable. I mean, like I said earlier, the pandemic only accelerated what was already on the way. I completely agree with what your previous uh, podcast companion said. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think a lot of people who aren't in the supply chain don't understand that this isn't just a random, you know, thing that's happening because of COVID and all the other factors. It's It was you know, always on its way here. Yeah. 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 And it's a multi, it's a, it's a multi-factor issue, right? There's, you've got labor involved, you've got, you know, trucking involved, you've got shipping, you've got the energy issue, the ESG issues. So it's not going to be a simple fix by any means. Yeah. Well, I'm running out of time, but thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. It was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Riel for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode. (laughs) 